Coming at you from the We Dessert Studio in Houston, Texas. You're listening to The Weekly Brew with Austin Statton, Kevin Cook, and Jeremy Paxton. It's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. Welcome to episode 69 of The Weekly Brew Podcast. My name is Austin Statton, and I'm joined this week by Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxton. Got two great interviews, the first one being with John McClain, who is joining us for our fifth time on the podcast. He's going to discuss the Texans Monday Night Football game upcoming against the Oakland Raiders. Also a little bit about Derek Carr and the Texans passing on him. Also David Carr and why he didn't necessarily work out as a Texans quarterback. Also, he's going to dive into the head coaching vacancy at Baylor University and also uh Got another great interview with Jeremy Brandon, who's going to be joining us uh, discussing both U of H football, who had their big 36-10 win over Louisville on Thursday night. Also a little Cougar basketball. Welcome to the show. Episode 69. If you're chuckling or snickering at that, you're in the right place. You may hear in the background we have some introductory music. That's in honor of Tom Herman, who with that big win over Louisville is going to get paid. That's money by Pink Floyd. Interesting uh, side note, uh, this was the song that inspired me to learn to play bass guitar. I don't know if you guys knew that I played bass guitar, but... Uh, I did not know that. It may be the sexiest thing about me, but... Besides my voice, which I think is distinctive, this, of course, is Kevin Cook, work for The Chronicle. Uh, I don't know if people can tell us apart. I've heard some feedback that we all sound like uh, homogenous white guys. So it, It's a little bit different, I think, when you're listening to us when we do an interview on the phone. Yeah. Because I, I think when we're in studio, we all sound differently. Uh, but, yeah, I, I don't think we sound anything alike. Well, I can tell you that John McClain wholeheartedly believes that I went to Baylor. And honestly, I don't want to break his heart. I'm not going to tell him <laughs> that I went to U of H. If he listens to the podcast, he'll find out. But uh, but I'm perfectly fine being in his good graces for no legitimate reason. But, uh, yeah, terrific interviews. After all, we are the voice of Houston. Uh, so if you're a Houston sports fan and you're not listening to us, um, you know, Hopefully someone that listens to the show will share it with you. That's kind of how we grow is people share it with the people they love, and uh, we appreciate when people do that. So I'm excited about this episode. I love the interviews we have on tap, and uh, it's been a good week. Absolutely. And if you're a U of H fan, you've got to be excited about that 36 to 10 win. U of H on Sunday moved up to number 18 in the, uh, the AP poll. So Cougars doing great things under Tom Herman. But Jeremy, I'm going to start with you. Uh, the University of Texas, Charlie Strong, uh, they lost on Saturday and remarkable fashion, I guess, against Kansas. It was the first time that the Kansas Jayhawks have defeated the University of Texas on the gridiron since 1938. Bill Snyder wasn't alive yet. We had only seen one world war. Is Tom Herman the next coach at the University of Texas? That's a really good uh, question. I, I, I think what is for sure is that Charlie Strong is out at Texas. Uh, whoever takes the Texas coaching job, they will be taking over for a program that is constantly, it seems like, in some kind of state of dysfunction. Of course, we've talked before on the show about how Texas is not just a head coaching job. It is a CEO job, and there are a lot of institutional strictures that keep young, talented coaches from succeeding there. Um, I think Charlie Strong is uh, kind of unfortunately in a tough place, but he will have another head coaching job after this without a doubt. Um, I think in terms of Tom Herman, he can write his check to or he can write his ticket to wherever he wants to go. I mean, this guy has some incredible wins under his belt. I mean, last year, Florida State, this year, OU. Not to mention just, um, you know, when the team is healthy, it looks like that they can really perform at a very high level. I mean, they dominated Louisville out the gate first quarter on. It was obvious that Louisville was going to be playing catch up the entire time. Yeah, one of the things that stood out to me was the defensive effort by U of H, led by defensive tackle Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver. Yeah, who uh, Stuart Mandel, who works with Fox 
Sports actually put out a, a top five Heisman candidates. Of course, Lamar Jackson still ranking number one despite being sacked 11 times, having a subpar game against the Cougars. But Ed Oliver, freshman defensive tackle, checks in at number five. And uh, he, Stuart Mandel notes that he ranks in the top five nationally with 19 tackles for loss and leads all defensive linemen nationally in tackles at 61 and pass breakups at nine. He had, what, four and a half sacks uh, on Thursday night. Just a remarkable effort from him as a true freshman. And I couldn't be more impressed with U of H. I mean, you know, despite all the, the coaching rumors surrounding Tom Herman, he shows up on big games. I mean, U of H, they are 5-0 and since he's been here in games in which the Cougars have been double-digit underdogs. To me, that's simply remarkable. Yeah, and honestly, I mean, if you had to pick games to win and games to lose, I'd rather win the big ones. Uh, just as a casual observer and a fan and an alumnus, I certainly like winning those big games when all eyes are on the program. I think it does wonders for them. It's certainly done wonders for Tom Herman's profile as everybody is out to get him. Listen, it hasn't really changed. I mean, Tom Herman's been hot. I think the boosters at Texas are making a bunch of noise now because uh, they're reactionary and they want something to change quickly. We saw that very depressing, sad footage of Charlie Strong, I guess it was in the post-game press conference where a reporter pitched him the question, do you know how this affects your future and your career and he sort of shakes his head and says I, I just don't know and I think that probably he does know I think everybody knows at this point he certainly seems to be on his way out which is too bad uh, I like the guy I think he's talented certainly he's shown he's talented in the past that's just a very difficult environment and if I'm thinking about where Tom Herman might want to land you know he's a guy who's great at recruiting obviously he's a good offensive mind he has a lot of talents I think one of the talents he doesn't have at least yet at this point in his life is the ability to deal with a very critical media uh, he's certainly shown some prickliness, and I say that with all due love and respect. You know, I'm a big fan of Coach Tom Herman, and I've met him a number of times, and I have a lot of respect for him, but he does not, uh, that little rant on Sports Radio 610, nobody looked good in that exchange, I think. But, um, but so I, I wonder about how willing or eager he is to get into that kind of a situation, which I almost view as a no-win situation. If you're not competing for a national title, then you're really not living up to the standards they have there, which are pretty unreasonable. How much does he want that? I don't know. Uh, as, we, as Jeremy Brennan will make clear in an interview in a bit, Tillman Fertitta has basically said money will not be the reason that Tom Herman leaves this program, which I essentially think means he's going to match whatever offer he gets. So, yeah, you have Texas in the Big 12. That matters, of course. I still think that Houston is, is a great contender to be in some other power conference as these realignments continue to shift in the not-too-distant future. Now, what about facilities? Uh, Dr. Couture has done a great job building the facilities in the athletics department, bringing them national recognition since she's been the president at U of H. And, uh, you know, they have a new practice facility, indoor practice facility that uh, Grant is being broken, I believe, this week. And, and I'm kind of curious. Tom Herman wants to win a national championship. Jeremy, can he do it at U of H? Oh, he absolutely can. He just has to be perfect. I think one thing that U of H has shown uh, the football world, the college football world this season, is that you don't need to be in a power five to be in contention to get into the playoff, which really, I mean, if we're looking at it, if U of H, and let's say next year, with all the talent they have coming back, does go undefeated, they absolutely make it into that college football playoff, which begs the question, what is a power five anymore? Like, do we need a power five, uh, you know, the setup that we have in the media when we talk about who gets into the playoff and who doesn't? So it really would be fascinating to see that happen. I, I think that U of H has demonstrated you absolutely can be in that conversation. Yeah, it's kind of frustrating to me because U of H started so strongly this year with that huge win over Oklahoma at NRG Stadium. And I think if, you know, they don't slip up against, uh, you know, Navy, which has a difficult offense to try to stop. And, you know, to game plan it a week is very difficult. The SMU game, you know, I think that it's just a lot of factors. Mystery. Yeah, just mystery. I, I, I don't get that game. But 
you look at U of H's schedule, and if they run the table with the huge wins over Louisville and OU, they're looking at a, a playoff bid this year without question. And I think that they would have a matchup against probably Alabama. I think they would probably be the number four seed. You have Michigan, Ohio State at two, whoever wins that game, Clemson at three. That would be a fascinating game to watch. Tom Herman's offense against uh, you know Nick Saban's defensive mind. But when I look at next year's U of H schedule, they open with UTSA on the road. Should be an easy win. Uh, then they go on the road and face Arizona, uh, which is going to be an interesting game. Arizona obviously down a little bit this year, but they're a Pac-12 school, so that's going to be another high-profile game. And they host Rice at home and then Texas Tech at home, who could be looking for a new head coach after Cliff Kingsbury's uh, Red Raiders got blown out on the road in Ames, Iowa, uh, Saturday evening. So I think if Tom Herman stays next year, you've got a lot coming back. You've got Ed Oliver Manny, that defensive line. You've got Kyle Allen, who's redshirting this year, who was at A&M. He's a five-star quarterback. I think he fits well into Tom Herman's system. I think that U of H has a shot next year to be a playoff contender. And if Tom Herman does leave, whoever the next head coach is, whether it's Lane Kiffin, somebody else, they're going to have a really good situation. Yeah, and that's the difference, I think, between Kevin Sumlin, Art Briles, and the current situation with Tom Herman. I hope he doesn't leave. I like having him here. I like what he does for the visibility of the program and just getting kids to want to play for their hometown team because this is one of the most fertile recruiting beds in the country. We've mentioned that multiple, multiple times. But he really, if he does depart... God forbid, he's leaving them in a much better situation than when he came in. There's a lot more resources that have been devoted. We talked about the facilities a minute ago. The reputation has sort of been restored in a way it hasn't been in years and years. Even under Art Bryles and Kevin Sumlin, they filled a competitive teams, but they didn't have the kind of profile they have now. And we're talking about them competing for a national championship in the next couple of years. You know, yeah, and they run the table. facilities have a lot to do with that. I mean, you, you have a brand new, beautiful stadium. And, you know, I think Kevin Sumlin had a lot to do with that. He built some momentum with the program. Case Keenum obviously setting all those national records. Uh, but Tom Herman has taken that to the next level. He's built a brand. He's built a swag. He's built a style. And if you're a U of H fan, you want to do everything you can to keep him. And I think that's why Tillman Fertitta has essentially said, I'm going to give you a blank check. But it's going to be interesting to see what happens here over the next few weeks. We expect, uh, you know, uh, Charlie Strong's job to be open uh, relatively soon. LSU job is obviously open. Baylor's job is open. Uh, there's rumors and speculation that potentially Texas a or Texas Tech could be open. So there's going to be a lot of coaching changes here within uh, the state of Texas within the next few weeks. And we're going to keep you all updated on that on the Weekly Brew podcast. But uh, stay tuned for more conversation on that with Jeremy Branham here in just a moment. But we're actually going to lead things off with John McClain, who previews Monday night football game between the Texans and the Raiders. And uh, guys, this is the first NFL football game regular season football game played in Mexico City since 2005 and it's going to be a great one uh, you know the Raiders are heavy favorites in this game but the Texans six and three uh, they're leaving a lot to be desired on the field uh, a lot of people especially Texans fans believe that they might not be as good as the record with the 27 point uh, differential uh, John McClain goes on to explain why that's kind of uh, you know misunderstood a little bit but I'm kind of curious can the Texans have success this season with Brock Osweiler or, or is this just uh, you know Texans go to the first round of the playoffs and lose Assuming they don't eat any of the food or drink the water in Mexico City, I think that they <laughs> might come away with the win. T- yeah, tomorrow. come back home safe, guys. That's what we're really rooting for here. Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on which uh, is a, is a first round playoff exit not a success given how poorly the quarterback position has or how poor the execution has been from the quarterback position. No. I don't know. What, what were your expectations starting the season? Well, I, you know, I don't think that Super Bowl was in the question. I think, you know, that would be nice to play at Energy Stadium here in February, but I don't think that was realistic. And especially looking at what the Texans have done with J.J. Watt going out. I mean, he's arguably the best player in the NFL. And when you lose that kind of talent 
on defense and your defense is still one of the top five, top 10 in the NFL, I think you're doing good things. And Brock Osweiler does not have to be a gunslinger. He just has to manage games. But the problem that I have with him is he has, what, 11 touchdowns and nine interceptions this year. That's not good. Uh, He's making poor decisions, as you alluded to with the uh, John McClain interview. He looks to be forcing passes to DeAndre Hopkins. And I'm kind of curious, Jeremy, when you look at that, you know, you look at the past, you know, five, six NFL drafts that the Texans have had. Are they unsuccessful now and have fans frustrated because of the way they've drafted? Oh, absolutely. I think that the Texans, uh, the Texas drafting mindset in the past couple years has always been defense centric. And that's really cost them. And I think I think that's a bigger issue with management and even the team ownership, to be honest with you. I look at I mean, we look at what 2014 Derek Carr, uh, Texans passed over him. Understandable that Texas fans and even the team ownership would be a little apprehensive to have another car on the team. But still, I mean, look at him now. I mean, he's leading the, the Raiders to a fantastic season. Right. And not only that, but they passed on Teddy Bridgewater, who they could have traded up one spot to get him. And instead, they draft Xavier Sulafilo, who has had a decent season this year. But it kind of makes you frustrated when you hear that, you know, Bill O'Brien is an offensive guru and that he brings in Fitzpatrick. He brings in Brian Hoyer and then you pay, uh, you know, two years guaranteed 35 million for Brock Osweiler. Does he really know how to coach NFL quarterbacks or was he just given this reputation as an offensive guru because of Tom Brady? Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I mean, because obviously you didn't have to develop Brady that much, um, but you, developing Brock Osweiler is going to be a priority because he looks very, very raw, and I'm hoping that that's what it is. That's a question of him being raw and being in a state where Bill O'Brien can work with him and can get him to come along because they're paying him a lot of money. So his development, I think, is key to the success of this team going forward. Obviously, it's a quarterback position. It's the most important position in sports, and he's paid you know commensurate with that. So I think that the true test will be what sort of development and growth we see from Osweiler in the season's going Going forward, I'm willing to give him. I don't want to say I passed this season, but I'm not expecting much from him. I'm not going to be, you know, supremely disappointed if he winds up with about as many interceptions as touchdowns at the end of the season, which seems probable. What's mystifying is DeAndre Hopkins, the way they've been unable to get him involved. So you have the tight ends doing much better than they've done in years past, which is good. Sure, absolutely, that's great. But at the expense of DeAndre Hopkins's uh, uh, efficiency and capability, I don't know. It's still a work in progress. So I'm withholding judgment for the time being. We'll see what comes of it. Uh, probably next year, I think. This that I'm giving them a pass this year. That's a fair and accurate perspective to take. And, uh, you know, we'll dive in more into the Texans and, uh, you know, the NFL landscape as a whole with John McClain here in just a few minutes. But uh, kind of switching gears here, uh, Jeremy, we celebrated your 31st birthday this week and you are the oldest, I guess, a senior statesman, if you will. I, oh, oh, that that's that's way too nice. We just say yeah, oldest. Yeah. yeah, oldest. That works. <laughs> but uh, we actually had a cake from We Desserts and it was a chocolate cake. Absolutely beautiful. If you want to check it out, go to Weekly Brewcast on Instagram. We posted some photos there of it but my gosh that cake phenomenal no it's it's amazing i'm somewhat of a chocolate guru a snob a connoisseur and it was amazing uh i i love chocolate and chocolate that's exactly what it was really dense really moist really if you're a chocolate lover that's what you're going for but i hear weed desserts has all sorts of stuff cakes pies whatever you need for this uh, holiday season Guys, what what's what's coming up on the schedule? What's big this week? What are you guys getting into? Something this about turkey. There's there's football on Thursday. Yeah. There's oh yeah, there's football. On Thursday. Why oh, is there yeah. so much football on Thursday? Because people like to get together for Thanksgiving with yeah, their family and they like food. Yeah. Absolutely. And if you like food and you should, food is uh, vitally important for us to live as human beings. Then you probably are going to be doing some sort of Thanksgiving thing. If you're not, I apologize. It's very sad. If you don't have any family to go to, you're spending it alone. Uh, you know, our heart goes out to you. You should still go to Weed Desserts and get something delicious for yourself because you deserve it at that point. But most likely, you're going to be spending some time with family. And if you've ever been to a family event, 
Sometimes they're stressful. Sometimes you're actually asked to bring things with you. You can't cook. I know you can't cook. If you're listening to this show, there's no way that you're good at cooking. What you need to do is go to We Desserts. They have some, uh, some extra specially made pies just for the Thanksgiving season. You can show up with what would appear to be one of like uh, Grandma's famous homemade pies uh, for a very reasonable price, too. $20, 10% off your listener of this podcast. You get pumpkin, pecan. They, are, uh, they have cinnamon sugar leaves on them. I don't think those oh, are actually leaves good. from a tree. I think it's a term of art. I'm not really sure what it refers to, but I've been told to read this. And a mix of holiday spices and a crispy cinnamon nutmeg crust. I love all of those things, and I know these pies are fantastic. So if you're looking to bring something to your family gathering, go buy We Desserts at 3411 Kirby. Call ahead, because these pies are running out. They're selling like hot pies. I see what you did there. Did that work for anyone? That was nice. That didn't really work. But, um, you know, I'm doing this on the fly. Their number (laughs) is 713-487-9688. You can ask to speak with Jen or Penny. I'd recommend Penny. I know Penny a little bit better. They're both wonderful people. They'll both help you out, and uh, they can get you hooked up for the Thanksgiving season. Yeah, make sure to stop by We Desserts and call them. Uh, check them out at 3411 Kirby here in Houston. And all listeners of the podcast get 10% off. Just tell Penny and Jen that the guys at the Weekly Brew sent you by. And additional We Desserts, we want to make sure that you know about our social media channels as well. You can search Weekly Brewcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And if you want to go back and look at the archives a little bit, we've got some good stuff posted on YouTube. Haven't really posted there in a while. We'll try to get some stuff up soon, but just search Weekly Brewcast on all of your uh, social media yeah, channels. Word of advice on YouTube. Don't bother. I haven't done it in a while. That's my job. Uh, I've not done that for quite some time. I've been very busy. It's playoff season in high school football. I get that. I get that. We're we're all busy. So just just look at us on Twitter, Facebook. You'll get all your stuff there. And hey, at K Michael Cook, it's very important you follow me too. Because when people are looking at things like, do they want to hire me? Am I an important voice (laughs) in the city? You know, it matters how many followers I have. So regardless of what you think of the things I tweet out, I don't really care. I need you to follow me just to show that you support me. So at K Michael Cook on Twitter, uh, let's have some interaction there. I'm happy to argue with you all day long if you're wrong about stuff. Well, you know, I think once you get over your lack of confidence, you'll be okay. Yeah. So uh, I think that's multiple times that we've said that on the show. But I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. But also make sure to check out our website, weeklybrewcast.com. We post great content there each week. But again, we have a great show on deck for you tonight. We've got uh, interviews with John McClain, who's joining us for the fifth time. Also, Jeremy Branham, who is the play-by-play voice for U of H basketball and also the sideline reporter for U of H football. Great interviews coming up on deck. So without further ado, it's time to sit back, relax, and be informed. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now on The Weekly Brew podcast is John McClain from the Houston Chronicle, who has covered the NFL for more than 38 years and is a five-time guest on this show. General, we're halfway through the NFL season, and on the college front, our Baylor Bears have been struggling the last few weeks. How are things going since we last spoke? Well, are you talking about Baylor or the Texans? Which one? (laughs) Let's, Let's go both. Well, let's start with Baylor. I'll tell you what. Baylor was sailing along. And they were unbeaten. They went to Austin, and right before they played, the regions went public with the Wall Street Journal accusing Art Browse of, of all kinds of, of complicity, cover-up, and they lose to Texas. And then the next week, they go to the, they're talking to uh, CBS Sports, and they lose to TCU. So I think that the regents are fighting the regents, former regents, the coaches, and the players are caught up in all that and I feel terrible for the players because the current players do not deserve that they deserve better but it is an embarrassment for Baylor it puts everybody's shame that went to the school it's going to be a long time before they get this mess cleaned up but I have moved on to basketball men and women (laughs) 
Yeah, I like it. Uh, Baylor men had the big win against Oregon last week on uh, you know the ESPN wraparound, so they're doing pretty well. Uh, the women, of course, always uh, led by Kim Mulkey. But uh, John, I want to dive into the Texans real quick, and you know the Texans season has been perplexing for me so far. You know they had the big game on Monday night against the Raiders, but as of now they're six and three, but they're the first team to win at least six of the first nine games with a point differential of minus twenty seven points which is the worst in the NFL since 1986. And not only that, but Brock Osweiler continues to struggle, uh, completing just you know south of 60% of his passes. Uh, he's got nine interceptions on the air. His QB rating's at 74. Can this team hold off Tennessee in the AFC South, or are we going to learn a lot more about the Texans in these next four games with Oakland, San Diego, Green Bay, and Indianapolis coming up? Well, let me point out that point differential. What is their point differential at home? What has been their point differential since they played? Minnesota and New England early in the year. Right. They've been on the plus side. People look at that, and I see things all over the year. People talk about how bad they are, but analyze the schedule. You know, that's the thing. Which team has beat more teams with winning records, Oakland or the Texans? That's the Texans. Right. If you ask that question to anybody nationally, they'd say Oakland. Oakland's beaten one team with a winning record, Denver, 30-20 in the last game. Texans beat Kansas City and Detroit. And they're doing it in spite of Brock Osweiler, who's played terribly. Now, he's got nine interceptions. There's a lot of quarterbacks that have more. And they have gone to a short passing game because he can't throw the ball down the field except to tight ends. And, and I'll say this about Osweiler. He deserves the criticism. He's now started 16 games in his NFL career, full season. He's 11-5, and five, including three on overtime. And everybody keeps talking about his stats, and that's fine, but – the only thing that counts is that one stat, and I think they're going to get killed in Oakland. I believe I picked, I believe I picked the Raiders to win by ten. Wouldn't it surprise me if it wasn't more, based on their road record against three good teams. They beat Jacksonville, which was a bad team, but they were they go back to New England, Minnesota, and Denver, and they had one touchdown in those three games. Now this one is not at Oakland; it's at Mexico City. So it's really a road game for both teams. Raiders have been great on the road, better than they have been at home. Are the Texans capable of winning? Sure they are. Will they win? I'd be shocked. So it's interesting you talk about Osweiler and his struggles. Obviously, those have been something the team has had to overcome. And in an article you wrote recently about DeAndre Hopkins, you know, you mentioned that seven of Osweiler's interceptions have come while targeting Hopkins, who he has targeted 89 times but only resulted in 45 catches, 482 yards. I think the refrain around town has been get the ball to DeAndre, but they can't really mean forcing it to him because arguably uh, the biggest mistakes so far have come trying to do that. So how, if you're Bill O'Brien and you're uh, Brock Osweiler, do you maximize Hopkins' talent and get the best use out of him without you know turning the ball over three of the last four games Hopkins has averaged fewer than 10 yards a catch with Hopkins Hopkins performance has gone down as they have no threat on the other side Will Fuller started well caught some long balls in camp and early in the season then he's had injuries and he hadn't done squat since Tyron Braxton has not emerged since only his second year of playing wide receiver and they knew when they went with so young receivers playing with Hopkins, they were going to have growing pains, and they have experienced growing pains. The offshoot is they've started throwing to the tight ends. C.J. Fedorowicz and Ryan Griffin have done a really good job. I think that they are third or fourth in the league in tight ends catches, which would be shocking 
if somebody pointed that out before the season because they didn't utilize them hardly at all the last two years. But Osweiler seems more comfortable throwing to the middle of the field than he does the sideline, which is unusual because balls can be ricocheted. They can uh, they can be intercepted easier over the middle. And, and I tell you what drives the coaches crazy about him. He can have Hopkins running across the middle open about a 10-yard route, throw it behind him incomplete. He can have Tyrone Braxton running a slant route the opposite way, about seven yards open, and he throws it like a Nolan Ryan fastball, and he has no prayer. But then when he have to have a completion at the end of the game to run out the clock, he throws a perfect bullet slant pass to Hopkins for a first down, and the game's over. And like the Indianapolis game, he threw a perfect pass to win in overtime. So he has done it. The key is he has no consistency, and he just is not accurate. I went back and looked at everything he did at Denver. He played a lot better in Denver than he's playing here, and I'm sure they're mystified by it because they expected more. They never expected a consistent 300-yard passer. And I'll tell you something else. In that column I did about DeAndre Hopkins, I pointed out after nine games last year, his statistics were through the roof. But guess what? They had two fewer victories. It amazes me, and I know this is why the point differential and Osweiler's performance. The Texans are six and three, and they get treated like a three and six team. You know, so also from an article you wrote, and kind of sticking with Brock Osweiler, he did mention. I guess he, he gave lip service to three things he had to improve, and you talked about ball security, converting more third downs, and then converting in the red zone. And while those are great things that I think I'd love to see improved, how fixable uh, are those kind of three tenets that he's looking to improve here in the second half of the season? Well, they were last in red zone touchdowns, and now I think they're like twenty six. They were two of two against Jacksonville. Their problem in Jacksonville wasn't scoring in a red zone. It was running out of gas and missing field goals. They got to the 32, the 32, and the 37, and they came away with nothing on those three drives. So they were better. The problem is they haven't been in the red zone enough. Lamar Miller has two rushing touchdowns. The team has two. That's the fewest in the league because they don't get down there very much inside the five-yard line. It happened twice against Jacksonville, and they went with short touchdown passes for Osweiler. So he knows what he needs to do. The guy is a really hard worker. His teammates love him. Media loves interviewing him. I'd like one time for him to have a great game so I didn't have to ask him negative questions every day. <laughs> I just kind of rotate how I do it, and, and but he handles it so well. He always blames himself when they mess up. He will not take credit when they do well. It's always his teammates and his coaches, but I'd like to see him have a good game, win a big game, and uh, be able to write positively about him because chances to do that have been few and far between. Yeah, and you had just mentioned the coaching staff, and uh, Bill Bryan was asked last week if uh, he was happy with the team's decision to select Xavier Sulafilu over Derek Carr in the 2014 draft. And in addition to that second-round decision, the uh, you know the Texans obviously took Jadavion Clowney, who was the logical number one pick at the time, over Khalil Mack in the first round. And I'm curious from your perspective, three years later, did the Texans have buyer's remorse? Uh, I would never second-guess anybody that everybody in the country had rated number one. Clowney's healthy for the first time. He's playing really well. The uh, Texans' defense is rated fourth. The Raiders, I believe, are 30th, so or 28th, 31st against the pass. So Khalil Mack, who has seven sacks, as good as he is, has not helped that defense be better. You know, it's amazing to me. Raiders are one game better than the Texans. Now, everybody loves the Raiders because they are the Raiders. It's a great success story. But the Texans' defense, without J.J. Watt, without Kevin Johnson, 
is still fourth overall, and Clowney plays a big role in that. People look at the sacks when he's doing so many other things that are disruptive. So would they have buyer's remorse on Clowney over Mack? Not a chance right now, not with the way he's playing in his first injury-free season. And when Watt comes back, they also move Clowney's position this year from outside linebacker defensive end. He's the lightest 3-4 defensive end I can remember. And he's going up against guys that are 50, 60 pounds heavier than he is. But he's incredibly explosive and strong. And he sees, I watch him drive him back into the quarterback all the time. And when Watt comes back next year and plays opposite Clowney with probably D.J. Reader, who's been really good, when he's got to replace Vince Wilfork, their defensive line could be outstanding. Uh, specifically on Derek Carr, he's lighting it up this year in his third season. He's got more than 2,500 yards passing, 17 touchdowns, so just three interception. And, uh, you know, he has the Raiders contending right now in the AFC. Uh, but Carr said, uh, you know, on a press conference, I guess on a conference call on Thursday, that, quote, the Texans didn't even talk to me one time during the 2014 draft process. And I'm kind of curious with, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick and, uh, you know, Brock Osweiler and Brian Hoyer, should Texans fans be concerned knowing that O'Brien did have a chance to evaluate and draft Derek Carr but passed on him and went for those other three quarterbacks instead? They brought in Teddy Bridgewater, Johnny Manziel, and let's see, who else was drafted? Blake Bortles and uh, – wait, was Bortles that year? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They brought in four quarterbacks. They did not bring in Carr. When Carr came out of Fresno State, people didn't think that much of him. I mean, he wasn't the number one pick. I remember he was rated behind all those other guys that they looked at. And so I don't think Derek Carr would have developed anywhere near the way he has if he had been here. If he had come to Houston, every time he threw an interception, fans and media and people doing podcasts would have blasted him and called him David and say you're just like (laughs) your brother. So he's much better off being out there in his home area where they don't think about David Carr. But I know that would have been – I know absolutely that would have been the case. But they just didn't have him rated as high as they did those other quarterbacks, and neither did anybody else, so they would have made him a first-round pick. Now, his development you – know, Raiders deserve a lot of credit for doing a great job coaching him. He deserves a lot of credit for the development. They've surrounded him with a great offensive line, probably number two or three behind the Cowboys. And then they've got three running backs of all sizes – and a built different ability, and they've got really good receivers, Amari Cooper, and they've rejuvenated Michael Crabtree's career. So he has a lot of weapons around him, and that's one reason he has 17 touchdowns, three interceptions, and a 99 rating. And so Derek, who should get a humongous contract after the season, is going to be one of those young quarterbacks who's around for a long time. But in retrospect, of course they should have drafted him. They should have drafted Teddy Bridgewater, Blake Bortles, one of those others. But nobody in their right mind would have taken uh, any of those players over Clowney in the first round, and they took Suofilo. And, of course, Bill O'Brien's going to say they're happy with Suofilo. Right. And I'll say this, he's been blocking really well lately since he's been a starter. Let's see, the Texans are 6-2 and two and 6-3, and three, so they're 12-5 and five since he became a starter. But he's not a quarterback. He'll never impact the game like a quarterback. So in retrospect, of course, they should have 
taken uh, Derek Carr over Xavier Swathilo. One more question on Derek Carr. You know, he played at Fresno State. It's not a it's not a powerhouse conference, but do you think that one of the reasons why he fell to the second round was because of his connection to his brother David and the you know the lack of success that he had in the NFL, or do you think it was just measurables and not testing well at the combine? I remember one of the things in evaluating him. I read a scouting report that he had thrown more passes within five yards of the line of scrimmage than any of the top quarterback prospects in the draft, which means he just dumped it off. Plus, he played in one of those air raid systems. His brother, David, played in a pro-style system, and I remember he had three great games his last year against Wisconsin, Oregon State, and Colorado. And the Texans had targeted him in October of that year. They were so impressed with him. And I think David Carr would have been a lot better quarterback, but they did him a huge injustice by constantly changing his coaches, the system, asking him to change his style of play. In David Carr's third year here, Texans were 7-9. and nine. They were one of six teams with a 3,500-yard passer, 1,000-yard rusher, 1,000-yard receiver, and then they changed everything when they panicked after they lost the last game uh, to Cleveland, and he got hit a lot. So they wanted to go to a West Coast system. That was not his style. The coaches couldn't play it. They just totally botched that next year. Went 2-14, and 14, got Dom Capers fired. But I think Carr's failure here was as much to do with the coaching as, as, and the management decisions as it was Carr's play. You know, John, you wrote something that cracked me up in your, uh, I think it was the weekly power rankings that you do, but you mentioned that Houston, of course, hosting the Super Bowl. We might be looking at like a worst-case scenario is how you described it, and it made me chuckle, in which we have the Dallas Cowboys lined up against the Oakland Raiders, in which you have either David Carr's little brother, whom we could have drafted walking away with a win, or the hated Cowboys here in our hometown. How, how likely do you think that scenario is, and how much do you think it's going to bum out the Houston fans? I don't. I think it'll be New England. I do not see Oakland going to... New England and winning. I don't see anybody going to New England and winning. I think in the NFC, like right now in my rankings, I have the Cowboys as the number one team, as most do. Some people put Seattle because the Seahawks went to New England and won, but Buffalo won. So they're not invincible at home like they have been. But I just, I don't know. Something about, I don't see the Raiders with Jack Del Rio going to Foxborough and beating Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. So, You would have the Raiders and the Cowboys. And we always tell, if the Cowboys came to Houston for the Super Bowl, all those Texans fans could put their homes on Airbnb and then get the hell out of Dodge. And because a lot of those Cowboy fans that live down here are going to be coming out from under their rocks to crow and pound on their chest like Cowboy fans are wont to do and haven't had a chance in a while. But I think it would be great for Houston. And I tell people the double whammy, the day before they play in the Super Bowl here, Jerry Jones is going into the Hall of Fame in Houston, so they're one of the most interesting storylines from this past week, I think, has been that idea, the, the press conference rather, that Tony Romo gave in which he read, um, I thought it was kind of a bizarre statement, prepared statement that started with a lot of second person uh, describing you. It kind of felt like reading a choose-your-own-adventure sort of a book, but in which he basically you know, uh, conceded the position to Dak Prescott, who certainly earned it, and I think a lot of people have been talking about that. What did you make of that statement and, uh, and the fallout from it? I watched it twice, and... Um... And if indeed Tony wrote it, Tony should have a future as a writer because that was very good, very moving, very touching. He also made his point for other teams that he wanted to continue to play and how much 
he loved winning and playing. So he he put out the message that he's accepted his fate with the Cowboys, but his career is not over. And I thought he handled it very well. Now, I've seen people ripping him, Ray Lewis. People are claiming they know what he thinks, even though they weren't there and don't even know him. I've seen some media people doing that. I think it's embarrassing. You know, the guy goes, the guy, you know it's tough for him to watch Prescott take his job, but he's a good teammate. Prescott could get hurt any time in any game. And then what a story it would be for Romo to come off the bench. And everybody knows it. So they've got a great quarterback situation. But he's going to go to Jerry Jones, and he's going to say, please trade me to a team that is a playoff team like Joe Montana did with Bill Walsh when he was ready to go with Steve Young. So the key is nobody's going to trade for his contract. It's going to be $19 million in dead money off the Cowboys' cap. But it'll have to be a new contract with a lot of bonuses based on uh, games played and what they do if they make the playoffs. It could be a conditional pick. Say if uh, he leads the new team to the Super Bowl, it's a one. If they get to the playoffs, it's a two. Otherwise, it's a four. And, of course, he's going to have to play X number of games. But I don't see them forcing him to be the most expensive slub since the Nautilus next season when he's meant so much to the franchise. And Jerry and Stephen Jones like him and respect him. So he's going to have a new zip code. And I think a, a team to keep an eye on is not a bad team like the Jets is Arizona. I could see with Carson Palmer, he has not been the same since the playoffs. The Cardinals are not the same. They've got every every position you could want, but they got to have better play from the quarterback, and I believe he'll be 37 or 38 next year, older than Tony Romo. I could see Bruce Arians taking a shot at uh, Tony Romo. Yeah, it'd be uh, you know a great way for him to cap his career. Obviously, uh, you know Arizona's been uh, a team that has resurrected quarterbacks with Carson Palmer, and then also Kurt Warner back in the day. But you know, kind of diving into the Cowboys, it, you know, it made me think of growing up here in Houston and uh, watching the Oilers and Cowboys playing in Stadia Azteca, you know, several years ago during a preseason game. And I mean, it was just a great environment. I remember watching that game with my great grandfather. And uh, you know, the NFL they debuted their international series back in two. 2007 and the bulk of the focus has been on London and growing the game in the United Kingdom you know we've had a few games uh, played in Toronto with the Bills but is the NFL missing a big opportunity and you know in Mexico by just now hosting a regular season game in Mexico City well this is actually the second Arizona and San Francisco played there and the Oilers played preseason game there against the Cowboys the largest crowd to ever see an NFL game more than a 112,000 is Stadio Azteca, which has now been renovated, down to about 92,000. And somebody forgot to put an elevator in there, which just blows me away, <laughs> especially since I'm going to have to try to get to the press, cop, press, <laughs> press box. And um, I don't believe we'll ever see a team in Mexico City because there are a lot of things wrong with Mexico City. In Mexico, I just don't see it. I could, they want to go to Europe. They want to go to Europe first, long range. They, they're talking about Asia. They're going to put a preseason game in uh, Beijing and, at some point. And Mexico City is already humongous NFL uh, country. They love their football first, of course. But the Cowboys have a strong fan base in Mexico City. The Texans, the, the, the Cardinals, the Chargers, Rams, they all do. The Raiders. 
probably do. So many outlaws hanging down there, they're probably Raiders fans. <laughs> and I expect the Texans sold all the tickets they were allotted. So did the Raiders. And I'm thinking when the Raiders go through customs, when their fans go through customs with some of those outfits they wear in the black holes, I'm thinking, do they throw them in jail? Do they confiscate their confiscate their costumes? How do they handle that when you got shoulder pads with horns on them? I can't wait to see what what who shows up there and, and trying to figure out how do they get that through customs. So the the Mexico City game is sold out, as I understand. I think there is uh, interest there. Certainly, you mentioned filling up the largest crowd to ever see a, a game there in Mexico City. You know, I, I draw um, an analogy to the NBA, which is a, a league I follow a little bit closer than the NFL. Um, I'm a bit more of an NBA fan, and I think they've had uh, tremendous success expanding basketball, not just the NBA, but the, the game of basketball in general overseas, which I think kind of ties into the Olympics, it being an Olympic sport and so forth. But obviously, the NFL is trying to do that same thing. If you had to judge between the two, how, how well is the NFL doing of expanding their brand, of making fans in other countries and kind of uh, building new markets for themselves like the NBA is done? Well, they lag way behind the NBA. The NBA was at the forefront. I'll tell you guys an interesting question. My wife, you know, interesting situation. My wife and I went to Beijing. We had been to Hong Kong, and we wanted to see Beijing right before the Olympics. So we went, and it was the height of Yao Ming's popularity. And I thought, that as soon as we got off the off the plane, that we would see Yao posters and signs everywhere, see Yao jerseys, see NBA stuff. And I get off, and the first thing I see is a T.O. Cowboy jersey. And then when I'm walking <laughs> around, I see a little Yao stuff, but I was amazed at how much stuff people wore from the NFL. And it was all illegal because you would have, like, a Raiders emblem on a green hat. You, you wouldn't have the right colors. But uh, and at the time, T.O. was with the Cowboys, creating a lot of controversy. And I saw several T.O. jerseys, and they weren't unless they were Chinese American, because it wasn't. It was. Uh, they were Chinese men and women. I saw wearing these, and I saw. Uh, I saw one that had the Washington Redskins colors and. And a man and a woman were wearing it. It was Redskins jerseys, and it had Chinese on it. And I asked somebody, I said, what are those things, uh, what are those say on those jerseys? And they translated it as, yes, we're Redskins fans, bleep you. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, that's, that's, that's interesting over there. But the NBA has still been at the forefront. You know, the NBA plays so many regular season games over there. And the key is to expand the brand. And China is the big market because, you know, you get 10 billion Chinese that they want them all to wear NBA NBA stuff. And there's enough to go around where they can wear NBA, NFL. I'm surprised considering the popularity of the Little League World Series. And even though they played in, in Japan, they have great, great pro baseball. A lot of Americans play over there. I'm surprised baseball is not bigger in the Far East, considering how much they play it at the at the kid level, that they don't have their own major leagues in China. And I've also wondered why all the Chinese that come to America are big men, 
and you would think they'd be putting out some point guards. So, John, we are both Baylor alums, and, you know, obviously it's been a hard uh, year for everything that's gone on, uh, you know, starting with Art Bryles being fired last May. But, uh, you know, I've spoken with Jim Grobe. He's a very stand-up guy. Uh, You know, had the opportunity to interview him here on the podcast a few months back. But uh, he's just here on a one-year contract. And uh, a lot of Baylor fans are speculating that, you know, potentially Larry Fedora, Chad Morris, or somebody like P.J. Fleck or Les Miles could be the next head coach at Baylor University. Kind of curious from your sources and your perspective, who do you think would be the best fit for Baylor moving forward into the 2017 season? They're using a search firm, and Jim Grove has done as well as you could possibly do under the circumstances. Just a terrible situation for him to come into, and I wish the the regents had waited till after the season to create this latest controversy that's been a huge distraction for the players who deserve better treatment because they're not involved in all the all the problems that Baylor had, and I hope the women who were assaulted and raped get whatever it is they're looking for, millions of dollars, anything they can, because they deserve it based on the way they were treated. Now, I think until they hire the new coach, and they got Mac Rhodes, did a great job at the University of Houston, spent one year in the cesspool at Missouri and bailed, and uh, he's not real popular there, but he did a really good job at U of H, not to mention hiring Tom Herman, but I don't see, I saw one report uh, that said they're wrapping up Les Miles at Baylor. I don't think that's true. Les wants to coach again, and while he would give Baylor instant recognition, and he's used to recruiting Texas and Louisiana, I don't know what the big deal is about Chad Morris. You know, SMU's won one game that mattered. Uh, A guy that I hope they at least look at is the guy Keeler at Sam Houston State, which is number one in the country and plays a brand of football faster than Art Browse played. I hope they just check him out because he's winning. And Baylor will get a good coach because they have great facilities. They have a lot of talent, even though they're missing this next class. And they it's so much better now than it was when Art Browse took the job. I told Art he was crazy. It was a dead end. Don't leave. Don't leave. Uh, don't go to Baylor. You'll, your career will be over. Of course, I was right for the wrong reasons. He said, "Yeah, you said thinking about coming to U of H," and I said, uh, "Yeah, you're right." And uh, Art did a great job at Baylor. I know him. I feel bad for him. I feel worse for the victims who had to go through everything they went there. You know, there's a there's a blight on all of us who graduated from Baylor, and I know you guys hear it like I do from people all over the country. And uh, I hope that once the new coach gets in, they'll be able to move on. And I know they will because Baylor's strong. You know, Baylor still has more more co-eds than they do, than they do men. And a lot of the other programs are doing great, like both basketball programs are off to tremendous starts. But whoever it is, if they pay a lot of money, and Art was going to make $6.5 million this year, that's a lot of money for a lot of programs. And I don't know that they'll pay that. But if they'll pay somewhere around $5 million, they will get a top-of-the-line coach. Hopefully, it'll just be the right guy. And he's going to have to be a salesman because he's going to have to sell alums. A lot of the donations are not are drying up. He's going to have to sell the renegade uh, regents, the current regents. The regents have got to get blown out. It's going to take a great sales job along the lines of 1972 when Grant Taft took over a program he was the 10th choice, and he got out, and he spoke He spoke to everybody 
he probably went to cemeteries and spoke and got everybody <laughs> interested again. And then he was named National Coach of the Year, and the rest is history. They need somebody who can do that. And Grant Teff, obviously a great guy, and was very instrumental in bringing Jim Grubb to Baylor. But, John, one final question for you. We're coming up on holiday season. I know you're a, you know, a accredited movie star on IMDb. You, you love films. You love going to the movies. If I'm looking to you know, go see a film or uh, you know, a movie with my family this holiday season, what should I look out for and why? Well, first, first of all, uh, I don't see anything that you can go with with your family. Uh, <laughs> I, the best movie I've seen this year, and one of the best I've ever seen, and I'll guarantee you when the Oscars are nominated, you will see it nominated for Best Picture. And it was Hell or High Water with Jeff Bridges, Chris Pine, and Ben Foster set in West Texas. So many great movies have been. On RottenTomatoes.com, 99% of the nation's critics liked it. Think about that. You can't get people to agree on what day it is. 99% loved Hell or High Water. Some of the greatest writing I've ever seen in a movie. Great acting, great ending. And first time it comes on TV, I'll be watching it again. If you go see it, trust me, you will love Hell or High Water. I'll definitely go check it out and uh, look forward to seeing that. But, John, you know, this is the fifth time that you've joined us on the podcast. We definitely appreciate you for taking the time out of your uh, your evening. And, you know, as you travel. said strangers, I'm happy <laughs> to do it more often. You guys went to Baylor. I'm happy to <laughs> talk about Baylor to anybody. anybody. Maybe next time it'll be a little more positive. We will definitely take you up on that. But, uh, John, uh, you know, safe travels to Mexico City. And for those that are interested in following your work and your coverage of the Texans this week as they take on the Raiders in Mexico City, what is the best way for them to follow you on social media? It's McLean, M-C-C-L-A-I-N, underscore, on underscore NFL. McLean underscore, on underscore NFL. Plus, Cron.com and most of what I write goes on our premium site. HoustonChronicle.com. Well, John, we definitely appreciate it and uh, enjoy Mexico City. Adios, amigos. You're listening to The Weekly Brew. Joining us now on The Weekly Brew podcast is Jeremy Branham, who is the new voice of U of H men's basketball and the sideline reporter for the Cougars football program. And Jeremy, thanks for joining us this week. And uh, let's get started with Thursday night's 36-10 win over Louisville. And the Cougs dominated from start to finish and put little da- you know, put a lot of doubt into the, uh, the Heisman candidacy of Lamar Jackson, holding him to uh, 20 of 43 through the air and 1.3 yards per carry on the ground while sacking him 11 times. And, you know, after the slip-ups against Navy and SMU earlier this year, how important was this win for the U of H program moving forward? Um, I think it was an opportunity to put them back on the proverbial map. Um, you know, they were they were there last year after they beat Florida State in the Peach Bowl. Uh, they were the hot school. They were the it school uh, from the group of five. And then the, they cemented that thought whenever they beat Oklahoma. Uh, it, it, at uh, NRG in the, the season opener that they were the school that, you know, was going to crash the party of the college football semifinal. And, you know, it didn't work out that way with losses uh, like you alluded to against Navy and SMU. Uh, but it also showed that uh, at any point that they're as good as anybody. You know, they beat the Louisville, who was ranked fifth in the uh, committee's rankings. They were third in the AP in the coaches poll. And like you said, I mean, they, they dominated the third-ranked team of the nation. 
you know, while Harmon's offense gets a you know a lot of credit, Ed Oliver, you know, just a freshman, he's making his presence felt on that defensive line, and he's got an MRI uh, scheduled for last Friday. So at the time of recording, uh, we don't know quite the results, but uh, Coach Harmon seemed that he was optimistic. But you know, he had another remarkable game against Louisville. He had six total tackles, two sacks, forced fumble, two pass breakups, and you know, I'm curious, how special of a player is he for this program, and you know, what is his ceiling? Oh, he's a freak. <laughs> he's, I mean, he's a, he's a bona fide freak. Uh, his ceiling is it's as high as he wants it to be. Um, you know, you look at him, and he's not a really a prototypical nose tackle in a 3-4. Uh, you usually look at, like, run cloggers and space eaters uh, that usually stick in the middle of a 3-4 defense, and he's not that. I mean, he's not a 6-4, 6-5, 300-pound guy. He's, he's much uh, much more on the, the shorter scale. He's probably 6-1, 6-2. He's not really huge in terms of weight. Uh, he's a very muscular guy. He's built like a like a, he's built like a traffic cone. Really, he's everything's down low. Uh, he's got huge legs, tree trunk legs. His ceiling's very high. Um, he's he's one of the most dominating players in college football. And you know, whenever players they would get recruited out of high school, like Oliver, and you know they're highly touted and they're four stars and five stars, whatever the case may be. You know, a lot of times that doesn't translate to the college game or if it does it takes a little while before you start to really see why they were so highly touted and highly recruited sometimes it's not to their you know, junior senior seasons but Oliver came in right away made his presence known was really a starter from day one and he's the best player on this defense he's the best player on a defense which I think is a very good college football defense which was evident against Louisville on Thursday and he's doing it as only a freshman I think the sky's the limit for him and I'm really excited to see where his career goes yeah absolutely maybe a guy we'll see playing in the league at some point in the future so as you know Jeremy I'm a, I'm a sports journalist and I, and I maintain you know that journalistic sort of integrity and uh, and distance except when it comes to U of H so I've been just mulling over these Navy and SMU losses for a while now and sort of sitting with them and living in them and then this game is just I mean phenomenal beating Louisville obviously it's the game we had circled on the calendar and ever since the OU game we won that that was huge but uh, what what you know Coach Harmon alluded to being banged up in October that was kind of an issue was is that really the only difference here? Was the the health of the squad, or was it just that they were fired to play Louisville? What made such a, a remarkable difference in, in those two losses versus this huge win here? I think it's probably like eighty percent that they were injured and banged up, and twenty percent that they were you know hyped up to play uh, you know third ranked team in the nation and having them come into their place, being in front of a national audience. You know, you go back to that Navy game and. You look at the Louisville game on Thursday and some guys that made huge impacts on the defense were Tyus Bowser and Steven Taylor. I mean, they they were they had their hands in part of those 11 sacks and all those holding penalties and the false starts because they were scared of where the rush was going to come from. And Tyus Bowser and Steven Taylor didn't play against Navy. They didn't have two of their best linebackers against that triple option attack. And Would it have been a different story had those guys been in there? I look through my cougar-colored glasses and say, yeah, I think it would be a little bit of a different story. Also, the offense didn't really take care of the football in that game either. I think if the offense takes care of the football in that game, they win despite not having their two best linebackers. The SMU game, I don't have a good answer. I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. I think it was just an anomaly, just a game which they didn't show up, which happens in college football. I mean, you look at all the best teams in the nation. The Clemson lost uh, last week to, to Pitt. You know, they just didn't show up. They almost lost to NC State earlier this year. Ohio State lost to a good Penn State team. Michigan lost to Iowa. You know, teams just lose. It's a long season, and sometimes you just don't bring your, your best game, and other teams play really well, and, and you lose. And 
I think that was the case against SMU. There certainly was a lot of hype for the game yesterday, and it's been hype that's been really brewing ever since they beat Oklahoma. Everybody looked at this game as uh, perhaps a play-in game to the college football semifinal. It didn't turn out that way for Houston. It probably was the case for Louisville because I think if they went out, uh, that they would get one of those spots in the top four with Ohio State and Michigan playing uh, towards the end of the year. Um, but, you know, there was a buzz in the crowd. The atmosphere was certainly lively. You know, they did uh, – the Cougars did something that they haven't done before when they walk out of the tunnel. It's a pretty long walk from the locker room down to the football field through the tunnel that kind of zigzags down in the, in the bowels of uh, TDECU Stadium. And last night they turned off the lights in the tunnel for the very first time, or Thursday night. They turned off the lights for the very first time. And uh, they had strobe lights in there, red and white strobe lights. It was kind of like Club Cougar or whatever. And then they had loud. They had a DJ actually in the tunnel, a DJ in the tunnel that was playing kind of you know hype music to, to get the guys ready. And uh, they were they were ready to go from opening kickoff. And it was kind of fitting that uh, Louisville fumbled the opening kick. They recovered, and Cougars jumped out after one play with the, the score, but. Uh, it was certainly uh, an outstanding college football atmosphere. And you kind of talk about that atmosphere. I mean, the program has just you know, gained so much notoriety over the past two years. And there was a Fox Sports article that came out Thursday night after the game suggesting that you know Tom Herman's program is the second coming of Boise State. But there was a caveat that this is actually in Texas, a more fertile recruiting ground. And you, know, you look at the TV ratings from Thursday night's game. It was the best overnight rating for a Thursday night college football game in 2016 across all networks. So clearly people want to see this team play and you know see the offense and you know just the excitement but you know my question for you is twofold one uh, despite the big 12 electing not to expand does a win like this with that kind of exposure entice someone like tom herman to stay at u of h despite all the coaching you know rumors kind of swirling around him and secondly how is this program not being courted by other power five programs right now um, I'll answer the, the second one first. I think this is just kind of a dead period in terms of conference realignment. You know, all the TV contracts are, are kind of set in stone for the next few years. Uh, I think whenever uh, the new wave of conference realignment kicks back up, whenever those TV contracts run out, uh, that you'll start to see perhaps other teams being courted and perhaps brought into some conferences. And, you know, you got to strike when the iron's hot. And I, I thought that was a very um, – I thought that was critical this season, you know, with the Big 12 flirting with conference expansion, the Cougars being the it-hot team. Uh, I thought that was the, the best time to get into a, a Power 5 because they were trying to strike when the iron was hot. If conference realignment doesn't open up for five or six more seasons, and let's play the hypothetical game, I don't think it's going to happen, but let's say the Cougars have a bit of a drop-off and they turn into an 8-5 and five team and they're drawing 20,000 at TDECU Stadium. Now they're not an attractive program to, to join a Power 5 conference. So uh, that was the thing that kind of uh, really hit me hard was that while the program is at its highest peak that it's been in a really long time, that no one's expanding at this time. So the Cougars have to continue – uh, to produce like they're producing now, selling out TDECU Stadium, having double-digit win seasons, trying to stay uh, the hot team in a group of five. So whenever conference realignment does open its doors again, whenever that may be, uh, that they're still the hot team and they're still the attractive program that uh, conferences want to bring up. As far as Coach Herman, he, he strikes me as a guy who sees the forest more than he sees the tree. He's not someone who's going to be you know, prisoner of the moment and caught up in, in the game yesterday. Uh, I always go by what he says. Everything he's, he has said, he's been very honest and truthful, and he said it's going to take uh, something. He loves Houston. 
His family loves Houston. It's going to take something extremely extraordinary for him to ever leave. And uh, I'll, if something like that happens, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. You know, uh, it's kind of speaking to the Tom Herman and keeping him mentality. I think uh, Dr. Couture came out recently and said, hey, we're prepared to do whatever it takes to keep this guy, which I thought was an encouraging sentiment. But I wonder, I mean, how much of that is within their power? I mean, I can't read Tom Herman's mind. I don't know how committed he is to the city, the program. You alluded to some of that. But but in terms of the resources they can throw at the program, at Tom Herman, uh, do they have the wherewithal to um, – to make him a better offer or at least dissuade him from potentially going to one of those like blue chip programs. Yeah. I mean, all, all that stuff's really above my pay grade. I'm not, I'm not privy to those <laughs> conversations that they have behind those closed doors. Little guys like me aren't involved in, in those uh, big money discussions. Um, uh, of course the, the, the board of regents uh, president uh, or the head of the board of regents is Tillman Fertitta. And um, I, I usually reserve to facts whenever it comes to, to things like this. And he's, he's come out and said, if, if term, Tom Herman were ever leave, it's not going to be because of money. And whenever it's Tillman Fertitta saying that, uh, I believe Tillman Fertitta could probably do something about that. <laughs> no kidding. Speaking of Tillman Fertitta, his name's going to be on the uh, the new basketball arena in two years, I believe, when that's finished, the Fertitta Center. I think all of uh, U of H fans are grateful to him for the influx of cash and uh, and just the kind of the loud voice uh, he's provided for the program, at least in, in advocating the program, which is terrific. So let's switch gears to basketball. You're the uh, basketball play-by-play guy. I guess you're working alongside Alvin Hayes now, right? Yeah, the, the great Alvin Hayes, a Hall of Famer, one of the uh, the – Top 50 basketball players of all time. What's that uh, What's that experience been like? You guys have a couple of games under your belt. It's been, I think, a pretty encouraging start to the season. You having fun out there uh, broadcasting those games? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I had the opportunity of working with Elvin, uh, with Elvin a few years ago. I filled in for a basketball game, so there was a, a bit of a relationship there. We had some chats before the season just – uh, you know about how we wanted to handle the broadcast and you know the chemistry between us and really from from opening tip uh, it's been uh, it's been pretty seamless between us two i've been very happy with the way that uh, we've, we've been able to handle it uh, i'm looking forward to the year being the first year behind the the microphone with cougar basketball and you know working in a program with kelvin sampson who i've always admired from afar um, what he's done in the, over the course of his career you know, he started off at Washington State, took, taking over a, you know, his head coaching career, starting off at Washington State, taking over a bad program, and he got that ship fixed pretty quickly. Started winning there, and everybody knows what he did at Oklahoma. He had uh, such good success, and then you know went off to the NBA for a little while after his stay at Indiana. And, you know, proved that uh, he he can uh, match wits with some of the NBA's best minds. So I've always been an admirer of his, and, and working with him is going to be a, a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely, and Coach Sampson's a guy we're big fans of as well. He's been on the show a number of times. We always enjoy talking to him about any level of basketball. Honestly, I think he has a very keen basketball mind, and he also uh, knows how to turn a phrase, too. He's definitely good for a quote every now and then. But uh, but I'm excited about the season. I gather that he is, too. There are some differences to the roster. You lose Devontae Pollard. You have Devin Davis coming in. I think he's talked a lot in the past uh, couple of years he's been coaching there about incremental improvements, about making improvements every year. I think that if you're kind of tracking uh, the trajectory of this program, the reasonable goal this year would be making the dance, you know, making the NCAA tournament. Do they have those pieces? Are you seeing early, early on here what you think you want to see from a team that uh, that may figure to be a part of that equation? I think they have a shot. Um, you know, it's it's hard to tell in November exactly what you have, and you know they've played one real game and two exhibitions, and it's tough to tell. I'm real curious. Uh, you know that they they're going to play three games in Florida. Uh, at the beginning of the week and playing three games in three days is going to be a test. And they come back uh, for Cornell 
uh, the Saturday after Thanksgiving. So that's going to be a, a pretty good test too, because the Ivy League schools are always, you know, tricky. They're they're always, uh, you know, well well coached teams that you know usually play real hard and can shoot the basketball. So those those teams always present a challenge. Um, I, I think they have the makings of a tournament team. Can they put it all together? Is going to be the question. And I think that they can do that. You, know, you have Rob Gray who can provide plenty of scoring. Galen Robinson showed that he can be a, a good control point guard last year and what was his freshman season and what strides does he make into his sophomore year uh, Damian Dotson was arguably their best player last year just from you know an all-around game at least I think so and uh, I think he's going to have an even better senior season losing Pollard I, I think will hurt uh, you do replace him with Devin Davis but still Pollard had a really good year last year I don't, I don't like the uh, the argument of well it's okay that Pollard's gone because you got Devin Davis no you're going to miss Pollard you just have another good player in Devin Davis coming in as well. Uh, he was outstanding in his first uh, game at U of H. He set uh, career highs. Because remember, he played at Indiana, too, so he's actually had some uh, NCAA history. Uh, but had a double-double. What really impressed – like, he's going to be a double-double guy. He's going to put up a lot of double-doubles this year. Uh, what impressed me most about him was his range. I mean, he could even step out to the three-point line. He hit a three uh, in the opener. Uh, he, he's somebody who has a little bit of touch, which surprised me. I knew he was going to be a bruiser, you know, double-double type of guy, but I didn't know he could really even uh, be a, a guy who could step out to the three-point line and knock down a three. Uh, Chicken Knowles, you kind of know what you have in him, somebody who brings athleticism to the post position. The biggest question to me is can they find a scorer off the bench whenever, whenever Rob Gray picks up a couple of early fouls. Can you can you bring in a guy who can score some points and bunches off the bench? And I think Morris Dunnigan is a guy who can produce that. Will he develop into that is the other question. He's shown flashes so far. I think he can do it. Armani Brooks is a freshman who kind of right now is far far down in the rotation, but he's somebody who can uh, provide some scoring punch too. Sure, and then another guy, a fan favorite, uh, I always hear about him on Twitter and so forth, Wes Van Beck, who I think, if I recall correctly, at one of the pressers, Ken, uh, Coach Hampson said he was one of the guys who worked hardest in the offseason alongside, I think he said Chicken Knowles did as well, but uh, but projects to have a larger role this season. I know he always fired the fans up when he came out on the court. You know, He'd drop it from, from way outside, had pretty good range, and it seems like uh, maybe he's bulked up a little bit, maybe his game is a little bit expanded there. What, what's your impression, having seen him live a couple times? I would say that he is our sixth man he's going to be the the top guy off the bench he can he can be kind of a combo guard he can run some point but he's probably better suited in that two guard the off guard you know, you've seen rob gray kind of run the backup point guard whenever robinson gets a blow dunnigan can play a little bit of the point i really like van beck's game i, I like the way that he plays he, he's got an excellent shot in fact i was watching him in warm-ups the uh, the other day before the exhibition against angelo state just watching him shoot threes and they were so effortless and, and he was I think he knocked down like eight of ten so he's somebody that can definitely shoot he, he actually he has more athleticism than people think uh, he can get to the basket he can finish a little bit about the uh, around the rim he can create his own shot too he's got pretty good uh, deception to him you know he can he's got pretty good quickness jab step right move to his left get himself an open look um he had a, he actually had a, a point in the opener whenever uh he got called for a charge, I think it was. And it was a questionable call. one of those 50-50s, tackling the rim. You run over a guy, block charge, whatever. Uh, but he came back down on the, the defensive, on the defensive side of it. And he blocked a shot, got out of the fast break, and finished it with a two. And uh, he's an exciting player. He, he's a lot of fun to watch, and, and uh, I look forward to watching him this year. 
All right, again, we have Jeremy Branham on, who is the uh, the voice of U of H men's basketball. And Jeremy, uh, starting January 2nd, you're going to uh, be hosting the Kelvin Sampson radio show at Fuddruckers at 3929 Southwest Freeway. It's going to be from 7 to 8 on select dates. Kind of take us through what that coach's show is going to look like and what fans can expect each week. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's going to be what it's called. It's going to be the Kelvin Sampson show. It's always been a, <laughs> um, it, to me, like, I've hosted the, you know, Tom Herman show. I hosted the Levine show when he was here. I actually hosted the James Dickey show for a season uh, back when his early stages of uh, Cougar basketball. So I'm, I'm, you know, I said earlier how much I um, admire Kelvin Sampson as a basketball mind. So really, I'm just going to pick his brain and see what he has to say. But it's always been my belief on those shows that, the show is called their name. They're the star. I'm just going to deliver a few questions that, that let them showcase what they know about the team, what they know about basketball. And, you know, everybody's coming out to see Kelvin Sampson. So I'm going to make sure that uh, I put it up on a silver platter for them. <laughs> well, uh, for fans that are interested in kind of uh, getting more information about the show and also, you know, the different things that you cover, whether it's with Sports Radio 610, U of H basketball or football, what is the best way for them to connect with you on social media? Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Jeremy Branham. Uh, I'm not a, hu- a huge social media guy. Like, <laughs> I've never been able to get into it a whole lot. Like, I mean, I, I enjoy social media. I like being on it, but I'm not a huge uh, tweeter. So <laughs> if you follow me, I would appreciate the follow at Jeremy Branham, but uh, don't expect a whole lot. You know, I'll post, you know, when we're, when our pregame shows go on the air and where you can listen to it and stuff like that. But uh, I'm not a I'm not a huge guy in terms of opinion and analysis. I leave that up to the pros like you. <laughs> I, I don't know that we're the pros, but uh, Jeremy, it's always uh, it's always great to have you on the show, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time and joining us, talking not only U of H football and their big win over Louisville, but also kind of previewing the the basketball season as well. But uh, Jeremy, it's always great. Kevin Austin, uh, always a pleasure to be on with you guys. Thank you for having me. Closing time. Again, this has been episode 69 of the Weekly Brew Podcast. And guys, we just had two phenomenal guests. Thanks to John McLean for joining us for the fifth time on this show. Also, Jeremy Brandon, second time on the show, and they both killed it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we love both those guys. They both do terrific work, which is heck why we have them on here to hear their voices. John McLean, of course, the vaunted general. Uh, from the Houston Chronicle, been covering the NFL for 38 years, I think. 38 years. That's longer than we've been alive. Yeah, I mean, my... Jeremy's old. Jeremy's 31, and he's been covering them seven years longer. That's insane. You're not close. You're not. You're not too far behind me, by the way. Just want to make that. I, I'm still. Clear. I'm still in my 20s. Yeah. Yeah. Barely. <laughs> barely. But uh, so obviously, if you're not familiar with Jeremy Branham, he also does some other stuff. Houston Dynamo, play-by-play, I believe. He's got his fingers in virtually every Houston sports pie around town. He's an up-and-comer. Absolutely. He's, he's, he's going to be a rising star. He's going to be the guy in the city of Houston in 10 years. And we will be the ones who discovered him. That's sort absolutely of. He's got lots of full-time jobs, but, but we're going <laughs> to claim to be the ones that discovered him. So if you're a U of H fan, you're not already following Jeremy Branham on Twitter, I would recommend you do so. He was very modest about his Twitter account. He's a must-follow. I mean, let's be real. you got to follow this guy if you're a U of H fan. And if you're not a U of H fan, you're in the city of Houston, what are you doing? Get yourself together. <laughs> you're an embarrassment. Houston is uh, the bandwagon everybody should be on in this city. So two great guests. That's what we do here. We bring great guests with great content to you, the listener. And John McClain joined us. You know, we spoke a lot about the NFL. We spoke about branding and the NFL kind of growing its brand internationally. But one of the last things that I asked him was uh, his thoughts on the head coaching vacancy at Baylor. And Jeremy, uh, you weren't able to join the interview, but you did listen to it. And I'm kind of curious. He wasn't too high on Chad Morris. 
what are your reactions? Yeah, so uh, looking at the head coaching search at Baylor, I mean, a lot of names that are thrown around, a lot of uh, impossibles. I think I'd throw Tom Herman in there uh, with that position. However, I wish. But, yeah, right. Uh, well, anyways, uh, Chad Morris, um, actually, he's kind of been the favorite, kind of the front runner. I mean, all the all the pace size, some of the media speculation. He looks like a natural fit for Baylor. Uh, we'll see. I mean, it, I would love to have a guy that can recruit, a guy that's from the state of Texas. Yeah, I'm not sure if Tom Herman's the answer, but I, I, I you know, Tom Herman is the answer, but I'm not sure that I'm not sure that he's the guy that Baylor is going to get. I don't I don't know that Chad Morris is the answer, to be honest. Uh, you know, he did have that you know big win this year against U of H, but I think it was more of an aberration. Uh, you know, he did take over a, a program at SMU that was very, very bare. Uh, so, you know, I, I trust Mac Rhodes. He made a great hire at U of H with Tom Herman. And so I'm cautiously optimistic that Baylor will be OK as a result of some of the talent that is still in Waco. Also the facilities, but I, guess I will say shout out to Mac Rhodes. I actually used to work for the guy when I worked for the athletic department doing tutoring stuff when I was still a college student at U of H, and he is a terrific guy. I mean, just a great mind, a great personality. You guys definitely have the right guy in place at the top there, and I think that whatever he does, definitely going to benefit the program. Cleaning house, obviously, certainly in order, but uh, what, what a disastrous couple of situations he's walked yeah. into now as an athletic director. Yeah, that's two tough stops for him at Missouri. Obviously, all the racial issues going on last year, then the sexual assault scandal that has riddled Baylor this here so uh, he likes to fix problems i guess and he he you know hopefully he does a great job here but uh jeremy at least we can be proud of uh you know baylor basketball right now beating uh, number four oregon earlier this week blowing them out in waco and also the lady bears who are constantly one of the best teams of women's basketball the only thing that soothes my aching heart for baylor football is a good baylor basketball program and right now it's looking really good i'm, I'm really liking the play i mean beating oregon like that that was amazing they're three and oh going to this uh, game against vcu We'll see what happens. I, I really I look for us to be kind of seated mid and you know, about the middle of the tournament going into uh, going into the spring. I hope they're not middle of the seeds because that puts them at an eight or nine seed. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I would like to see Baylor probably anywhere from a two to four seed. And I think that with the talent they have in Waco, especially at the point guard play, you've got uh, Manu LeCombe. I'm probably butchering that name. He's a Belgian transfer from Miami. He set out last year. That guy is lightning quick, uh, distributes the rock unbelievably, probably, but you know, the best since we've seen since uh, probably Tweety Carter, which if you're a Baylor fan, that's uh, very well, that's high really praise, reaching very back high there. praise, but yeah. uh, you know, I think they actually have good post play uh, this year, which is something that we didn't anticipate seeing. And uh, Scott Drew knows how to coach. He might not get the, you know, the five-star recruits that some of the other programs get, but he's going to get guys and he's going to develop them, uh, you know, into four-year players. And uh, ultimately I think that's going to be successful. But if you're a U of H fan as well, Kelvin Sampson, he's doing another phenomenal job at U of H. And I think they could make a tournament. I'm going on record. I was going to cut you out there. I'm absolutely predicting this is the year that they make the tournament. It's been a while, obviously, since that's happened. Certainly since they've won a game. It's been a very long time. But uh, yeah, Kelvin Sampson is the guy. Uh, I've seen this team play already. They are electric. They can score. They were the highest scoring team in the uh, conference last year. Almost a district. <laughs> they're playing in a high school district, but uh, but they are very impressive, and the new additions are really working out. I like Armani Brooks is a very exciting player. Uh, Devin Davis uh, has the unenviable job of trying to replace Devonte Pollard, and that's going to be uh, kind of a building process. It's going to take a while to get to that level, but he's already doing really exciting things. So if you like basketball. Go out and see a game. I've been to a lot of these games. I used to cover them full time. They are almost always empty or close to empty. And that's not right. I mean, they they have great talent. I I know this is a professional sports town. I know people like to go support their Rockets, support their Texans, support their Astros. And I encourage you to keep supporting those teams. But Kelvin Sampson, we've had him on the show twice. Great guy. Great coach. Uh, He's been very great with us. 
go support him. He is a class act, and he's putting together a fine program at U of H, and Tillman Fertitta's even bought in by... Eric Gordon and James Harden are showing up at games. Exactly. So if you go to a U of H game uh, on any given night, you might see an NBA star or um, or star-ish. I don't know what I want to call <laughs> Eric Gordon, but a guy that Kelvin Sampson recruited, of course. So, yeah, a lot of exciting things happen with U of H basketball. I'm hoping I get out to see some games, even though I'm not covering them anymore. Uh, maybe I'll have more enjoyment just watching him as a fan. That could be the case, and uh, you might be listening to the podcast right now wondering where Hunter Atkins is. He's a guy that joined us in studio the past two weeks. He's actually working right now, or maybe... Uh, uh, sounds like an excuse. Maybe, Supposedly working. That's what he texted yeah. us. I, we didn't get any sort of concrete details. It I could, can't wait on whether I think be, that's true or not. But. It could be a Tinder date. I don't know. Good on him. Uh, if you're a woman out there and you're single and you're looking for a guy, I mean, I couldn't recommend anyone more highly than Hunter Atkins. He's got everything. The good looks, the uh, the silky baritone voice, great writing. He's a rising star in the sports journalism world. Are, are, you, trying to, are you trying to date him? Uh, I'm not trying. Oh, wow. I don't think I would have to yeah. try, honestly. There's so I'm, much chemistry between the two of us that I think it would just be Hunter, a natural fit, but I'm not available at the moment, of course. Hunter, are you blushing right now? <laughs> I doubt he's listening. We'll see. Right. But Hunter actually came out with a, a story that we've been plugging the past few weeks. It's an enterprise feature on uh, black head coaches within the state of Texas. And, uh, you know, we might actually have one of them, Charlie Strong, who's yeah. mentioned heavily in the, the uh, you know, the features that he wrote. Uh, he might be out the door. Yeah, and I think he'll get another job soon. I think he'll probably like whatever job he gets next a lot better, right. no matter virtually regardless of where it is. Um, probably be a better fit for him because I just think Texas is a hellhole. I mean, who wants to coach there? Good God. I'll do it. I'll do it for like, I don't know, I would 500K? I would honestly not. If you paid me a million dollars, I wouldn't do that job. I am relatively happy and stable right now. I'm poor. I will freely admit that I'm a very <laughs> poor person. But I just that stress would probably give me a heart attack or make me hate myself. And I don't hate myself at the moment, which is a pretty good place to be. But, uh, yeah, certainly uh, I wouldn't do it for a million. I'm ready to sell my soul. Where's the contract? I don't right have now. that. Yeah. I don't think I don't think Finvez wants to uh, offer it to you either. So <laughs> that hurts my feelings, honestly. <laughs> There's a difference between playing Madden on your PS4 and coaching uh the profile team, the the high profile team that is the University of Texas. According to John McLean, you'd be a better fit than Chad Morris, I think. So <laughs> I'll take it. He's not very high on, on Coach Morris. Yeah, but uh, you know, we had some interesting feedback this week on iTunes as well. We had uh two reviews. Uh Kevin enlighten us yeah well the reviews are important because basically uh they help us move up in the itunes rankings obviously there are a lot of houston podcasts some of which we respect and enjoy we, we've had some other podcasters on this show you and i austin have both gone on other houston podcasters show and we sp certainly support the thriving houston sports podcast community but some of those shows are terrible i mean frankly let's be real they're just awful <laughs> they're not it, the voice of houston definitely not the voice of houston we alone are the voice of houston and i will litigate against anyone who says otherwise <laughs> but we said it here first exactly right dibs i think is the legal term for that. But um, so, I mean, obviously, reviews are a way to differentiate between good and bad podcasts. We have a lot of reviews, and that's helpful. We need more of them just to show how good we actually are, and so that I can sleep well at night, frankly. But uh, yeah, two reviews this week. Ordinarily, I don't read one-star reviews. Ordinarily, we don't get one-star reviews, frankly. This would be the first one. I'm not going to make a habit of this, but I did feel like it's worth pointing out. It says, know your audience with one star. The title, the, the, the username, the iTunes username is done five minutes in. So I'm wondering if this guy makes a habit of only commenting on podcasts that he hates, because that's his username, or her, uh, or whether this person made a username specifically for our podcast in order to slam us. The review says, three liberals berate their sports-interested audience on voting for Trump on a podcast from Texas. Last time I'll even try to listen. And frankly, good f***ing riddance to you. I want nothing to do with you, man. <laughs> hold on, hold on. I'm kind of insulted. I'm labeled as a liberal because I did not vote for Donald Trump. I'm allowed to be a conservative, uh, you know, a registered Republican who does not 
endorse our president of the United States. Uh, you know, I voted for, uh, you know, Evan McMullen, who beat Hillary Clinton in Utah. I just don't like Donald Trump. That doesn't make me a liberal. He's not even a conservative. Come on, people. You voted for McMuffin, to be to be sure. Yeah. yeah. You, sorry. Run the tape back. If you listen to the first six episodes of the show before I came on, uh, it is basically like an alt-right flagship show. Uh, we got rid of the worst guy, Zach Taylor. I mean, didn't get rid of him. We love Zach Taylor, but he's just not on the show anymore. But, um, but yeah, so it's, it's changed somewhat. I'm the only, well, Hunter is a guest. I'm a host. We're the two liberals. The other two are diehard, uh, dyed-in-the-wool conservatives. So. Are you talking about me? Yeah. Oh, come on. You are very conservative. No, I have open ideas on both sides. I think I'm the most rational one of the group. Do you think so? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> Austin, is, Austin is definitely bi-curious, bi bi-party bi curious. <laughs> I'm just dripping. I don't know what I should think of that. Yeah. It's not flattering. Um, yeah, but I, I completely disagree with you. I, I think that you're extreme. I think Jeremy's sometimes extreme. I'm not remotely extreme. Oh, well, bullshit. Come on. <laughs> Uh, I, I think calling Jeremy alt-right is absurd. I called Zach alt-right, to be fair. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> That's I don't know fair. if Zach has done anything that would make me think he's alt-right, but if he did, I, I'm, I'm looking at, shock me. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for his like secret Twitter accounts that, you know, where he's tweeting out. Where like, he's just no, an no, egg no. and he's tweeting He's not on social media. That's right. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's just a bad take and uh, and a terrible review you hit the road we don't want any part of your listenership anyway man we're glad to be rid of you there was another review this one's entitled houston's finest five stars there's actually some similarities between these two reviews we'll get into that in a second but this is from uh Coog 2010 which really tells you where their loyalties lie i'm right there with you i stumbled across this podcast a few weeks ago and heard the bill brown interview which is a great interview. Absolutely. I'd go Love back it. and check it out. Yeah, it's good stuff. And decided to give it a chance. I respect how the hosts know their Houston-based audience, but also aren't afraid to broach sensitive topics. topics we We're not afraid. As the recent election was one of the ones we got into. While I voted for Trump, I'm not crazy about that. I think some of the hosts are misguided in their beliefs that they are morally superior because they backed Hillary Clinton. Uh, well, you nailed me. That's definitely what I think. Both candidates were flawed, and it's our job as Americans, yada, yada, yada. Love the show. Keep up the good work, especially with the comedic voiceovers. Those would be Hunter Atkins. I got to say, two guys that voted for Trump, one of them, hate him, don't want anything to do with him. This other guy, UH Cook 2010, whatever. We can, we can come together and rebuild America together because you gave us a five-star review, and frankly, you're my favorite listener of the week. So Techno Coog was in there for a long, long time as our listener of the week. We didn't have many reviews. UH Cook 2010 would be the new favorite listener of the week, and maybe for a couple weeks unless we get some more reviews. So take your rightful spot. As I demonstrated, I will read anything you put up here. So just leave <laughs> us a five-star review with a blurb, and we will uh, we'll shout it out to our thousands of listeners. It reminds me of Anchorman with the teleprompter. It's exactly the same. I actually <laughs> yeah, made that yeah, comment no, so many that, times that, that, That's a very dangerous license to give someone. Nah, I'm giving it. Hey, we'll take it. We'll take all reviews. Uh, we appreciate the feedback, especially to UHQ 2010. Uh, five minutes in. just If you're listening right now, turn this shit off. We don't want you. <laughs> and if you are listening right now, you're like an hour and 15 in, so you're definitely a liar. We don't like liars and hypocrites on this show. Uh, but uh, we definitely appreciate everyone for uh, you know giving us feedback on social media, giving us feedback on iTunes. Definitely go... Uh, uh, follow our social media channels to search weekly brewcasts on every platform. Also, go to iTunes. Give us show ideas. Tell us guest ideas that you want to hear. But, uh, guys, I really enjoyed this week's episode. Thanks again to John McLean from the Houston Chronicle for joining us for the fifth time. Also, thanks to Jeremy Branham for enlightening us on what is going on. Uh, 
down in the you know the third ward. Is it third ward? It is a third ward, absolutely. Yeah, third, ward. third ward. Yeah, third ward with U of H and the athletic department and the rise and success of the Cougars. But uh, great episode today, guys. Uh, it's Thanksgiving week. Hope you guys all have a good Thanksgiving and make sure to go buy We Desserts. Get some freshly baked goods for your family. But uh, guys, I, I really enjoyed this episode. And thanks again to all of our guests and all of our listeners for joining us this week. And for my co-hosts, Kevin Cook and Jeremy Paxton, I'm Austin Staten. We'll see you next week. And guys, remember, no matter who you are, where you go, or what you do this week, always, always brew responsibly. You've been listening to The Weekly Brew. 